So we are about to enter into the season of Lent, which in the Christian calendar marks the days leading up to Easter, when we remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Traditionally, to mark Lent, people give up something. Vince has named chocolate as a really popular one. Um, I know growing up, giving up soda, or for all of you Midwesterners, giving up pop was another popular one. One year, my childhood church collectively gave up complaining, which was a really interesting thing. We were given bracelets, and every time that we complained, we were told we had to switch the bracelet from one wrist to the other. Um, I don't know how effective it was. I just did a lot of switching. (laughs) In college, I was introduced to the idea that Lent can actually be a time where you take up a new practice instead of giving something up or alongside of giving something up. So as a community at Brownline, we are embarking on our second annual practice of giving up false, unhelpful, or incomplete beliefs for Lent. And I love this because it's a combination of both. You're giving something up, but you're taking up something new in its place. We've been going back to an encouragement from Richard Rohr that's been helpful, that you can't think yourself into new ways of living. You have to live yourself into new ways of thinking. So with that in mind, each week we want to offer some practical experiments to help live yourself into new ways of thinking as we talk through giving up unhelpful beliefs or a set of beliefs each week. So as we look ahead to this Lenten experiment that's starting next Sunday, Vince and I wanted to take the time both last week and this week to talk about the need for self-compassion when giving up unhelpful beliefs. Maybe these are beliefs that you held in a previous season of life or you're actively sorting through right now, or it could be beliefs that people you love and care about may have held or still hold. It can be really tempting, I think, for judgment to be the underlying tone of this process, whether you're judging your past self or judging others. Last year in preparation for Lent, we used the phrase looking lovingly at your past self, and I think about that a lot. And as Vince named for us last week, another really grounding phrase that we can come back to is I was doing the best I could with what I had. I can offer myself grace and compassion when I recognize just the really natural and necessary unfolding and shifting of beliefs in my life. And we can extend this statement to others. They were doing the best they could with what they had which I think is important when we attach particularly harmful or unhelpful beliefs that we may have picked up from specific people in our lives. We can have grace and compassion when we think about just how human people are. So continuing in that thread this week, I'd like to spend some time unpacking an idea that I've borrowed from Pastor Judy Peterson. This is the idea of composting when it comes to unlearning unhelpful beliefs. And typically, as a rule, I love metaphors, but I try to stay away from using metaphors that I don't have a ton of experience with. And while I wish for the sake of sustainability, I could say I'm an avid composter. I'm really not. (laughs) Maybe some of you have more hands-on experience with composting. Maybe you don't. But for me, I've really come to prefer this idea of composting beliefs over the typical term deconstructing beliefs because composting gets at how natural this process is, how organic it can be, and it points to how messy it can be too. 
Most importantly, I think that composting shows us that nothing is wasted in the process. Old beliefs, old theologies can be broken down and can actually provide nourishment and a deeper understanding for the growing of new beliefs. And I want to name that for some of us, the composting of unhelpful beliefs might be breaking down ideas that we picked up in previous faith settings. And for others who maybe didn't grow up in any type of a religious environment, it may be breaking down some ideologies about the world, beliefs about ourselves or about other people that we picked up from our upbringing, from our family culture, things like that. Likely for you, it's somewhat of a mix. And it's just a reminder that all of us are on this necessary journey of both learning and unlearning. Rather than giving into this negative, judgmental view of wanting to just scrap it all, or maybe trying to say, like, I've always been in this enlightened and arrived place, I think we can honor the journey with self-compassion and a greater sense of humility. Composting points to just how simultaneous the breaking down and the growing can be. It's not a neat before and after. Author Sumant Kidd describes this in her writing, saying, always, always, we are waking up and waking up some more. This is an ongoing, never-ending process of coming to new realizations. Always, always, we are waking up and waking up some more. Maybe that feels kind of daunting, that you just have to keep waking up and keep waking up some more, but I hope that that feels really exciting too. So I wanted to ground this idea of composting in scripture for us this morning. So I pulled some excerpts out of a longer passage to help us get a better idea of what creative repurposing can look like. So I'll take some time here to read from parts of John 15, and we can put that up on the screen. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So when we're looking at these words of Jesus as they're recorded in the book of John, at first glance, parts of this passage can seem kind of violent. You're throwing away branches that aren't bearing fruit and you're tossing them in fire. I think burning and fiery imagery should likely raise some red flags for us. But there are two things that I find really helpful in um, this passage. It's helpful for us to remember for understanding this idea of composting old beliefs. The first is that it's important to look at what is being cast aside, what is being pruned away and tossed in the fire. Now, it may be tempting to read in that Jesus is talking away, uh, talking about pruning away incorrect or uncertain beliefs or wavering faithfulness or concepts like not being pure or having doubts, but that's not what it says here. Because the fruit that's growing is characterized by two things, 
abiding in love, and having complete joy. So whatever is getting in the way of being loving is pruned away. The pruning composting process should bring us to more and more loving beliefs, more and more inclusive, more and more liberating, more and more hopeful. That is the fruit that should grow from following Jesus. So this means that if your theology or ideology is getting in the way of loving people or loving yourself fully, it's not helpful. It needs to be pruned away and tossed in the fire. The second reminder is that it's important to look at the way what is no longer useful is being treated. Because again, throwing branches that aren't bearing fruit into a fire seems pretty destructive and violent. But the burning has a purpose here. It isn't wasting what is no longer bringing about love. In the burning, the ashes can help make soil fertile for new things to grow. Even the removing of what is no longer helpful can contribute to healthy growth. Nothing is wasted. So I want to pause here to encourage you to think of something that you no longer believe, whether it's about God, about yourself, about the world. Think of this belief. If it's helpful for you to share it with others, you can put that in our chat on Discord or talk about it with someone later. But identify something that you no longer believe to be true. And maybe instead of just tossing away that belief, trying to pretend like it never existed, start to think about what would composting this belief actually look like? Now, this is going to be different for all of us, but I wanted to give a couple of examples of what composting old beliefs could look like. And I'll start with one that's a little bit more of a non-religious um, belief. So this is a belief that I have been composting and giving up. The belief is that my worth is tied to my productivity. As Brené Brown puts it, I'm a recovering perfectionist and an aspiring good enoughist. And I wonder for anyone here if this feels like something that you've been convinced of at some point in time. Even if you haven't explicitly thought my worth is tied to my productivity, I think it's really hard to escape the influence of productivity culture and grind culture that surrounds us. And for me, recognizing just how much my self-worth was tied up in productivity and perfectionism was a really important realization. But it was just important to realize that belief was not serving me. Rather than being a source of motivation, it was turning into a source of shame. And this for me started really early in life. I can remember sitting in my childhood bedroom with a journal with butterflies on the front of it, mapping out in purple gel pen each step of my day, what it was going to look like, all of the things that I needed to accomplish step by step, task by task. It was a very detailed outline. So at the end of the day, when it was all checked off, I could say, I had a good day today. And the underlying message here was, I am good. But then when I started experiencing some health issues, my threshold for what was actually possible for me to accomplish was drastically lowered. But that inner belief of self-worth tied to productivity was so loud. And at the end of the day, when almost nothing was checked off, I would say, I had a bad day today. And the underlying message 
was I am a failure. And I wish that I could go and sit with my younger self and tell her you are doing the best you can with what you have. I wish I could show her that slowing down is okay and necessary and not a sign of failure. Now it could be easy to say, uh, what a waste, all of that time trying to run and keep up with a perfectionist image, filling every moment of my day, feeling like I was never doing enough. But I think there are a couple ways that composting is helpful here. Reincorporating an old belief into present life. I can hold in mind now what it feels like to be burnt out, stuck in shame, and running to keep up. Maybe you know that that feels like too. For me, knowing how fully toxic grind culture can be helps me set boundaries around my time now in a much healthier way. I almost needed to know the unhealthy side of it in order to prioritize having healthier solutions. And another way that I can repurpose things here is that there are some motivational tools that I've picked up that do serve me well, that I can lean into. Things like behavioral activation, where you start with small and steady tasks, you don't just jump straight into the deep end, or having bite-sized expectations for what you are able to accomplish moment by moment instead of having this all-or-nothing thinking. And I picked those up as I was taking apart this belief, not swinging to the complete other side of doing absolutely nothing, but still finding a way to make it through the day. This is the process of keeping what is useful and repurposing it so that it can grow in a healthier way. If this feels like a belief that you have taken apart for yourself or you want to keep exploring, this idea that productivity and self-worth go hand in hand, there's an opportunity during Lent for you to um, explore this a bit more. I'm hoping that people will join me for a book club. Um, Trisha Hersey's book, Rest as Resistance, a Manifesto, is one that I'm really excited to read. I've heard some wonderful conversations with her and other people on podcasts lately. Trisha is behind the NAP ministry, um, which has this idea of undoing the belief that rest is a privilege, and instead looking at rest as a human right, as fuel for creativity and collective reimagining, and as a form of reparations and liberation. She talks about this embodied shift away from grind culture, which is really the product of white supremacy and capitalism, and toward restorative practices and reimagining the future. So this is one that I am still learning, and I'm really excited to read this book. And if anyone is interested in reading this alongside me, I would love to be in conversation with you. Now, a second example here of composting beliefs, um, this one for me is more religiously backed or tied to faith. And this is the belief that God is in control and everything happens for a reason. Now, if self-worth and productivity, if that connection was a belief that I didn't even know I had for a while, this one is more an example of a belief I thought I had to have because I didn't know there were any other options. It's kind of in the same camp of, for me, um, believing in hell growing up in an evangelical context. For a long time, I didn't realize that I could just choose to not believe in hell as an eternal place of suffering. And this one falls into that camp as well. I thought that following Jesus meant that I had to believe that God was in control and that everything happens for a reason. And honestly, thinking through this one this week just made me sad. 
because I see all the time how firm a grasp this belief can have on people. I've seen people in the midst of unthinkable tragedy go to God is in control as a source of comfort. Surely God must have a greater reason behind the death of a partner or natural disasters or whatever it may be. And it makes me sad that people, including my past self, fall into this trap that connects our deepest pains and hardships with God's permission or God's direct hand. Because if God is good and God is in control, the necessary conclusion that you have to come to is that God's version of goodness allows bad things to happen or causes bad things to happen. And I'm actually not sure which is worse. This belief was such a given for me that I can distinctively remember uh, meeting a friend at a coffee shop in college and having, talking about a lot of things, but inevitably talking about this idea that God was in control starting to sift through that belief together with that person and take it apart and rethink what I had been taught. And after grabbing coffee and having these really important realizations, starting to do the composting work, I went straight to a chapel service on campus. And during that service, I was praying up front as part of the service. So I was on the mic up front and the first words out of my mouth were, God, I'm grateful that you are in control. (laughs) And internally, I was like, what? I just, 20 minutes prayer, had this discovery and this conversation around, I don't quite know if I believe that to be true, at least not in the way that I was told. And now here I was on autopilot, praying something that I didn't believe in. And I think this is a great example of our premise for Lent that you can't just suddenly think yourself into a new way of living. You have to live yourself into a new way of thinking. And it speaks to the unavoidable, messy, middle ground of composting beliefs. Simultaneously unlearning and relearning, it can be a little confusing. It can take a little time. Always we are waking up and waking up some more. And when I think about composting this idea that God is in control and everything happens for a reason, something that comes up for me is this desire to listen to my feelings when I hear theology that aligns with this way of thinking. I do wanna recognize that there are times when this can be used in abusive and violent ways to justify horrific injustices, and that makes me angry. But most often, I experience that sadness coming up when I see individuals navigating their own suffering and coming to conclusions that I don't think actually reflect the character of God. And it's been helpful for me to lean into that sadness, but it keeps me, because it keeps me from going to a place of judgment. How could I have believed that? How could they have believed that? Instead, it goes to a place of empathy, because I think composting beliefs helps deepen our sense of empathy. I can understand the conclusions that other people come to because I've been there. They are doing the best they can with what they have. I think another important part of composting is recognizing this underlying desire behind the belief. The desire here is to connect God and suffering in order to find comfort. And I can do that. I can arrive at new conclusions that present God as present with us in the pain without crediting God with the pain. So as we shift back to talking about Lent, I want to challenge you to think through some of your present beliefs and how your past beliefs may have helped form them. 
because it can be really tempting to separate things in my mind. This is how I was, this is how I am, this is what I used to believe, this is what I believe now. But I actually think that they're pretty intricately connected. Whether we're aware of it or not, some of this creative repurposing of old beliefs is happening under the surface, and it's helpful to actually name what's taking place. It helps us to integrate our past and our present. Again, we are not a before and after. We are continually being formed. So would you hold that imagery of composting, of replanting and getting your hands dirty in the soil? And would this be an ongoing, lifelong journey of unlearning and relearning? Would that be an exciting and a hopeful thing, something that we can embrace with compassion for ourselves and compassion for those around us? And we're going to really lean into that as we start this Lenten experiment that's starting next week while we walk through some specific unhelpful beliefs. So maybe you feel like these are beliefs that you've already moved on from, but I bet you there are still ways, whether they're small or really, really big and impactful, that these beliefs are still affecting you. And you don't have to pretend like that doesn't exist. You can let it actually deepen your own understandings, your new beliefs, and deepen your sense of empathy with people who may still be actively sorting through these. So I'm gonna take a moment here to walk through what each week we're going to be talking about. So I'll put these on the screen so that you can see them. So next week, February 26, we'll be starting with the idea that certainty saves. March 5th, we'll be looking at an in-out mentality. March 12th, we'll be looking at the white-bearded god up in the sky. March 19th, we'll look at the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. March 26th, we'll look at sinners in the hands of an angry God, part one. And then the following week, April 2nd, we'll revisit that idea again. And again, each week, we're not just hoping to keep this in a headspace of let's just talk about this theoretically or theologically. We're going to give you some practical experiments and hands-on things that you can do and you can implement into your life. So again, it's that active piece of living yourself into new ways of thinking. And if one of these or a few of these really stand out to you, I'd invite you to just mark that on your calendar and make um, either being here or joining online a priority so that you can participate in that conversation. We did um, some similar topics last year, some brand new ones this year as well, and it was really wonderful to see the deep conversations that came out of exploring these topics. I'm really excited for that again this year. But wait, there's more. <laughs> there will be other opportunities beyond just joining on Sundays and listening to these messages that you can participate in. Uh, we wanted to be able to offer some Lent mealtime prayers for families, friends, roommates, people that you would consider part of your community. So each um, Sunday, each of the six Sundays that we named, and then along with Ash Wednesday, which is the start of Lent, and then Good Friday, which is the end, right before Easter, we'll release some mealtime prayers, and those will go out through email and on our different social accounts, um, just as a guide to help guide prayer and conversation with the people you're gathered with. And then we're also going to have some new small group experiences tied to Lent, Discord is going to be a really great place to plug into small groups. Um, if you go on our channel, they're not up now, but they will be by the end of today. There will be a channel for each new small group that's starting up. Some of them are directly tied to Lent. Some of them are a little bit separate, um, but those channels will be a place to express your interest, talk to the people that are leading those groups, find times to meet, things like that. 
Um, so Discord is gonna be really helpful there. And again, I'd love to invite you, if you are interested in looking at Trisha Hersey's book, Rest as Resistance, that's going to be one opportunity for a small group. And then we're also going to have a podcast group um, that's starting up. So I'm going to invite Brad Fruhoff up to actually pitch that himself, since he's going to be leading that. All right, thank you. So. The, yeah, this, the idea of this group, it's a, it's, it's a six-week Lent-based course um, that's an online uh, community kind of setup. And the, the two leaders, the two hosts, are people I've been following. And I don't know about you, but when I'm exploring new things, um, and a lot of my journey the last three years or so has been exploring a lot of new ideas in theology, I tend to like want to find the people who are like really helpful in guiding me through those things. Tripp and Diana have been those people for me. And part of what the concept of empty altars for Lent is, uh, is to look at who are all the other, other people that we can be looking at historically and, um, and contemporary. And I don't know if, you know, if you grew up in a church or in a church community, you probably have some story of a pastor or leader who fell from grace recently because that's happening all the time. And it's, I think, easy to get cynical about the state of American Christianity. And a course like this, is what's interesting to me about it is the idea that like there, we can find people who are also representing the kinds of values and thoughts and theologies and looking and like pursuing the same God we're trying to pursue here. Uh, so and learn more about those people and, and give me personally me like new people to kind of like check out and, and dig deeper on So I think it's gonna be a good course uh, The setup is gonna be that they'll come out every Monday with uh, a live stream And you can pick it up later on YouTube or on podcast The homebrew Christianity podcast. I can give you the links to all that stuff uh, We'll probably meet we're thinking Wednesday evening online So if you're remote or you just don't want to go out of the house or you have kids or whatever, it should be hopefully easier. Um, and we'll just talk about what it is. There's, there's readings that go along with it, but it's, not, it's designed to be like helpful for you, so I'm not, nobody's gonna expect everybody to do all the reading or even like watch the whole thing, like, but like, you know, dip in and hopefully find some new things that inspire you and some people you can be interested in and uh, give you some hope that there's uh, a larger community of people uh, exploring and pursuing the things we're interested in here. So if you're, yeah, if you want to know more, come talk to me or find me on Discord and friend me so I can give you the, you know, some of the information. Uh, and some of you I might try to hit up personally. Um, yeah, and we'll get, it starts February 27th is the first stream. So we'll get, get going that week. Thanks, Brad. So that'll be a great opportunity. And I think it's a good reminder to just Brad's comments about listening to the whole thing or doing all your reading, doing your homework, that these conversations aren't designed to say, here is a whole bunch of things that you now have to put on top of what you're already thinking about and already wrestling with and already composting and deconstructing. Instead, we just want these to be tools for you to feel like you're not alone in doing this. You have a community to do this alongside of. And it's stuff that we get really excited about too. And I think if when you are in that isolated place, it can feel more daunting than exciting. 
but this process of leaving something behind in order to take up something new, something more helpful, something that serves you and your community better is a really hopeful thing. The last thing that we've got going on for Lent, too, is just a funny one, because we think we're funny. Um, we're going to make Vince and Haley bingo cards, so that while you're listening to us on Sundays, um, there are things we say a lot. Like, you will inevitably hear me reference Brene Brown. Um, Pastor Judy comes up a lot, too. We've got a lot of people that we go to, typically. So that might be a square on your bingo card. you got to look for it. got to see. But I'm excited to get this going next week, and I hope that you can really carry this spirit of self-compassion and compassion for those around you as you take this on with us. So I'd love to invite you to join me for a little prayer exercise now that continues on in the spirit of compassion. This is called a loving kindness meditation. So if you want to just take a moment to get comfortable in your seat, take a few deep breaths to get settled. This prayer helps us walk through looking at ourselves, looking at our community, looking at the people who have formed us, and just offering compassion, speaking words of wellness and love over ourselves and over the people who have formed us. So if you take a moment just to take a few deep breaths and be still. And in this place of stillness and quiet, would you just bring to mind something that you are longing for in this season? Something that you are longing for today. And as you're in this place of embracing reality and looking to what you're longing for, would you say these words over yourself? May I be well. May I abide in love. May I experience joy. May I be well. May I abide in love. And may I experience joy. I invite you to extend that longing to someone in your life. Bring to mind someone who has formed you really positively. Someone you think of fondly. Someone who helps you feel like yourself. And as you bring that person to mind, would you pray these words over them? May you be well. May you abide in love. And may you experience joy. And if you're comfortable doing so, I'd invite you now to bring to mind someone that you maybe have more of a complicated relationship with you. Maybe they've had a little bit more of a negative impact on your formation. Bring them to mind.
And would you pray these words over this person? May you be well. May you abide in love. And may you experience joy. And finally, I invite you to bring to mind a community that you are a part of. Maybe it's this community here at Brownline. Maybe it's another community in your life. Would you identify what you're longing for for that community? And would you pray these words over the collective? May we be well. May we abide in love. And may we experience joy. Amen.